Welcome to She Been Ready, the podcast. She Been Ready is a conversation, a declaration, and a clarification that Black women have always led. On this podcast, I, Dr. Wendy Williams, educator, psychologist, leader, and auntie, will be joined by Black women who lead and those who have been led well by them. So, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready, and you can trust in the leadership of a Black woman because she's been ready. Hey, 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 folks. Welcome back to She Been Ready, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wendy Williams, and as always, very glad and grateful to be able to bring you yet another wonderful episode. Today, I am introducing and sharing an interview that I did with Nse Ufo. Nse is an activist, community organizer, and the chief, or rather the former chief executive officer of the New Georgia Project. Now, you may have heard of the New Georgia Project. It was very much a major player in the 2020 and 2021 elections, the 2020 presidential election, and then the 2021 runoff election in Georgia. Uh, NSA, in this conversation with me, shares the story of how she grew up uh, the child of uh, Nigerian immigrant parents in the South, um, the immigration story of her family, and what that meant for her experience as a young person coming up in Georgia and taking on responsibility and how she developed her leadership. She was later recruited to co-conspire with none other than Stacey Abrams and a legion of activists and regular old superheroes, as she tried, as she calls them. Uh, in this interview, to lead the New Georgia Project, which, again, organized Georgia to have just tremendous uh, voter turnout for the 2020 presidential election and also pulled that turnout once again in 2021 for the runoff election that put Raphael Warnock, who was the first congressman to represent Georgia, and John Ossoff in the chamber. Um, one of the things that I think you will hear from Nse's story is just this need to... Um, well, at least for me, in talking with her, is this need to reflect back on all that you did. You know, as a black woman, I can tell you that my life experience has, con- you know, consisted of a lot of doing. You know, um, very accomplished, very smart young girl coming up, and so I just kind of was achieving and achieving and achieving and achieving because that's what I knew I was supposed to do. That's what my parents told me I should do. My grandparents, my community, just go do something and and be worthwhile and make a contribution. A lot of little black girls get that message. And Nse has a little bit of that too. What I note from her is as she tells a story of coming off the high of all that big organizational work around uh, elections and politics in the state level, at the federal level, uh, that there's also this, this real humanity and this real need to sort of take a moment, take a beat and say, you know, what just happened here? Many gems fall from her lips as we speak. One of the things that strikes me is how she thinks about the coalition building 
building and who has right and responsibility to it. She talks a lot about the role of white people actually to contribute to that multicultural coalition of voters who turned Georgia blue. She has a really great idea for a book project that she'll be working on. I hope she's working on it now, actually. Um, I would love to read that book, How the Peach State Turned Purple would be exciting. Um, And what she talks about is that, you know, that doesn't just happen on the backs of black people, black women who we say have saved our democracy and who black women know also included a coalition of folks from a variety of backgrounds and and areas of the world um, and, and, and life paths that found allegiance and found some integration in terms of seeing the world in a particular way and trying to make sure that we can pull forth Um, a politics that could serve the people. It includes all of us. And even for white people, it includes them too. So I really love the way that she frames that in this conversation. Um, Again, super excited to present this interview with Nse Ufo, a former chief executive officer of the New, Pro- New Georgia Project and also the inaugural pres- uh, CEO of that of the New Georgia Project. And really, I think, along with Stacey Abrams and a number of other, as she calls them, regular everyday old heroes, um, put Georgia on the map um, as Lee being a lead uh, in, in our 2020 and 2021 presidential elections and has made such a difference for the democracy that we all have had the benefit to experience. Enjoy the show. So say I want to say thank you so much for joining me on She Been Ready, the podcast. You have no idea how, um, well, maybe you do, because I usually tell people how I feel, but I'm so grateful to have you. And I'm so excited for the listeners to have an opportunity to hear from a woman whose work is what you've been doing. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yes. So one of the first questions that we ask each person who's come on the show is how did you know that you've been ready? Uh, So and been ready to lead. It's the question centers, you know, you know, that may, I should say, come through the work that you were doing at the time. You may have been a child. You may have been you may not think you're ready yet. You know, Um, it may be located within a particular career or not. But how did you know that you that you've been ready? Um, I, I've known I've been ready for a long time. Okay. I'm I'm talking about possibly middle school, like maybe 11, 12 years old. So mm. um, I immigrated to the U.S. with my family when I was in elementary school, mm-hmm. um, when I was a really young kid. Um, so I'm from Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I um my parents eventually divorced um, uh, and my mom sort of deals with what we now know is uh, social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, it was like, my mama don't do people. <laughs> my mama don't do strangers. <laughs> um, and so the idea that my young mother, um, we were in a country that wasn't our own. Mm. Um, you know, English is not being our first language and having a mom that was like an extreme introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were just systems that I needed to learn. There were I needed to interact with adults on behalf of my family. Right. Mm-hmm. I think about doing my brother and I got, you know, our first summer jobs when um, 
you know, I was 14 and he was 13. And so filing our taxes, mm-hmm. right? Um, when my mom and I um, realized that I wasn't going to be eligible for some of the like scholarships and student loans because I wasn't a U.S. citizen, we were green card holders. Then um, she got a third job so that she could hire an immigration attorney. And I was responsible for making sure that we passed the citizenship exam. Mm. Right. So like reading the Constitution, making note cards, preparing my mother and I to swear the oath of allegiance to become U.S. citizens. Right. And so, I mean, I, you know, if I'm honest, I think that there's definitely part of it that was just life circumstances and being a poor African immigrant Mm -hmm. in the deep South um, that is intent on surviving. And if we're lucky, like thriving um, and wanting to, you know, the best for myself. Right. And my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of it is personality, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, because the flip side is that, I, you know, growing in a small C conservative Christian immigrant family with a lot of boys and the only girl. Mm-hmm. Right. And so challenging culture yeah. within my own family, which is mm-hmm. unheard of from like, you you know, you know, and in, in, in our in our tribe, they say that you're not an adult until your parents are dead. Right. So <laughs> the idea that like 13 year old me is challenging, like why my mom has to cook and why I have to be her sous chef when my brothers are in the backyard playing trash can basketball mm-hmm. and I'm busting ass like mm-hmm. I'm beating my brothers and the neighborhood boys. And then my mom will scream at the top of her lungs for me to come mm-hmm. in to go to make dinner for everyone and mm. pushing back against that, even, you know, my mother who I love and is my person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think if, if, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a particular point. Um, it feels like I've been ready to lead, mm-hmm. defend myself, speak truth to power, call out hypocrisy um, for as long as I can remember. All right. And then I turned it into a job. There you go. (laughs) Uh, We're going to get into that. But I'm just sitting here thinking about that, you know, the cultural piece, Um, having to, you know, some people that I've interviewed have said things like, well, I don't know, or, you know, it it just kind of happened. But it feels in some ways, given all the ways you were relied upon within your family, having it be a part of what it means to be an immigrant in this country. And, you know, the ways in which we have to grow up when we're dealing, when our families are, are in a space and we all need to chip in, but then also having that countered in these other ways where you're not supposed to speak or you're not supposed to have an, uh, an opinion or, or talk back. And so it may have perhaps made you want to make, to name that more early or more clearly for yourself because of those contradictions that you were grappling with on all those levels. Absolutely. You know, combating or coming up against a culture Mm. that says that like children are to be seen and not heard, but then also (laughs) being the child that's like, there's some officials at the door. I need you to come. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. So like, you can't put that. 
we're we're either like comrades and partners and I'm helping you and leading this family right. or or not. <laughs> right. You can't have it both ways. Right. And isn't that the story of black women in leadership in America? Oh, my goodness. So you were prepared so, very well. Oh, my goodness. They want our labor, our creativity, <laughs> the sauce, the swag, the 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 the, the tirelessness. Mm. But how dare you want to actually run and win? Like, how dare you actually want to be in the seat? Mm-hmm. Right. That that or to, to make decisions. How dare you want to control the budget, mm-hmm. right? Like we just want to exploit your labor. That's it. Uh, that and is, then you go back over there and do other things. 100%. 100%. Um, I had never thought about it that way, but yes, <laughs> absolutely. <No. laughs> We're just going to jump right on in. Right. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, for me, that's that's the uh, that's the rub. Uh, I um, recently finished a book, and and the first uh, line is, you know, that we are the most resented for being the most dependent upon. Mm-hmm. It, it and it really is. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> and it's that's true. the paradox of our leadership challenge—not our challenge, but people's challenges of us and challenging us. It's true. Yeah. I, I mean, I think about sort of the backlash mm-hmm. that I received, you know, saying you want to register a million black people to vote <laughs> in a place like Georgia. Yeah. Where there are tons of civil rights leaders, Democratic, black Democrats, um, and just folks who claim to do this work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't getting done and it certainly Mm -hmm. wasn't being done at scale Mm -hmm. and it wasn't being done in transparent ways, like with metrics associated Mm -hmm. so that we could understand the impact that it was having on the electorate Mm -hmm. and the political opportunities. And so my work at the new Georgia project created those conditions, created a vehicle Mm -hmm. that looked at voter registration and black political participation Mm -hmm. in very scientific ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I say often that our work is data informed. It's not data driven. What drives Mm -hmm. us is the love for ourselves and our communities and trying to build something that like actually works for black people, but it is absolutely informed by data. Mm -hmm. And what that did was opened up the floodgates. It let me raise almost a hundred million dollars. Uh, over the course of nine years and spread that those resources across the South, um, having people look at the Black electorate in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the smoke, the, the, the critiques that I get for, do you mean for, for bringing resources to the state? Mm-hmm. Right. For bringing time and, 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 and energy and attention to what is happening to the demographic shifts that are happening mm-hmm. in Georgia and across the South, that people are introduced to organizations, that community organizations and folks who've been organizing for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, it was, well, where's the money coming from or or 
the majority of your money comes from the coast. Mm. Uh, so you aren't like, so, so local people don't actually support your work. Mm. You got to go to California. You have to go to New York in order to fundraise for it. And that being used to discredit our work as if mm-hmm. I am not Southern, I'm not Georgian, I'm not local. We're not black enough because mm-hmm. our work is funded by folks who are not from our communities. And so, oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you slipped it in there. I want to just kind of highlight and amplify a bit more. You, until very recently, were the CEO of the New Georgia Project. I was. And I, yes. And I want to thank you out loud and in front of everybody for the work that you've done and that you all have been doing down there because... And it's one of the reasons why folks in California, like me and all across the country, but on the coast, um, are supportive, both in heart and in dollar, (laughs) is because it matters. The South is leading the way and Georgia is leading the way around redefining and reimagining and perhaps allowing us access for maybe the very first time the actual democracy that this country has promised. And so we thank you and we salute you. And we know that that comes with all the things that it comes with. What did it mean for you to be a founder, a co-founder of this piece of work? When, how did you say yes to that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, for those who don't know, like the New Georgia Project started by, um, uh, a brilliant leader uh, by mm. the name of Stacey Yvonne Abrams. Ooh, ooh. I uh, love her so much. She's, <laughs> such, a, she's yes. such a good human. Like she it's, is. It's just... So mm-hmm. I um, was living and working in Canada. I was mm-hmm. the um, deputy executive director of the Canadian Association of University Teachers. It's the largest faculty union. union in yeah. Okay. And I was lobbying, um, trying to get you know free college across Canada. Um, and one of my very good friends comes to visit me for the summer. We're riding bikes through downtown Ottawa. We're riding past <laughs> Parliament. She says, "By the way, are you coming home for the holidays?" And I'm like, you met Mama Ufad. Of course I'm coming home for the holidays. That's not an option. Mm. Talking about? And she was like, well, I, when you get home, I want to introduce you to one of my clients and somebody that I'm working with. Her name is Stacey Abrams. Okay. She's a state legislator. Have you heard of her? And I was like, no. And also no new friends. <laughs> okay, time. We're going to have to come back to that if we have time. Oh, absolutely. I was that. a joke. I was a jerk. a jerk. I was a jerk, to be clear. Okay. I'm arrogant. Oh, okay. Keep I was going. like, I'm coming home to uh-huh. see my sorors, to my see mom. my mom, mm-hmm. my friends from high school, <laughs> make some bad decisions with a couple of exes, and eat a bunch of food. Like, yes. I'm not trying to meet with some state legislator. What are you talking about? Put on a suit. <laughs> blue suit red tie no right. thank you right <laughs> and um she said no i just i really think that you guys mm. should have brunch okay. and i was like well it's brunch you should have led with that yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah. should have led with that That's Ease in with the mimosa time. maybe you can make it happen i know, I know. <laughs> so new year's day 2014 mm. stacy okay. and i have uh brunch on new year's day on new year's day okay. yeah i mean because I was committed to making bad decisions with my ex. <laughs> <So that's laughs> you did on New Year's Eve. I can't. <laughs> I need you. I understand. <laughs> Listen, I've seen what your commitment can do. So in whatever way you decide, I know it's going to happen. <laughs> I had a schedule. I had an itinerary. A schedule. <laughs> a schedule. 
Um, and I, if I could, uh, you know, yeah, I sure I'll grab brunch with this state legislator. Okay. So we have brunch on New Year's Day. Okay. And uh, she lays out her vision for the New mm. Georgia project, right? At the time, there were 1.2 million African Americans, Latinos, and Asian Americans, mm-hmm. and unmarried white women in the state okay. who were eligible to vote, but completely unregistered. Mm-hmm. Um, and why it mattered a lot to her was because also at that time, the losing Democrat was getting beat by the winning Republican by an average of about 250,000 votes. And she's saying, hey. You got all these votes over here that aren't spent. I'm sure we could make a difference if these people participated. There were five times the number of unregistered Black folks Mm. than what was required to swing any election in Mm. Georgia, any election. And again, there were a bunch of legacy sort of Mm -hmm. civil and voting rights organizations who claimed that they were doing this work. But they were not. Um, the Georgia State House, Georgia State Legislature has the largest um, legislative Black caucus in the country. More Black mm. legislators elected in Georgia than in any other state. And the work was not happening. Mm. So some back of the napkin math, like how do you get to a million? Da, 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 mm-hmm. Da. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I'm telling her all of the reasons why it won't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, I was a precocious <laughs> you know, young activists in the Georgia Mm -hmm. Democratic Party of the 90s and early aughts. And I know that it was run by Dixiecrats, Mm -hmm. right? And Dixiecrats and, and, and quite frankly, Black male Dems who were conservative Mm -hmm. Um, and who, again, who had a uh, sophisticated racial justice analysis, analysis, Mm -hmm. but not gender and certainly not class. That's right. And so... Uh, and if you know Stacy or have heard her speak or have had an opportunity to see her work, I had 30 reasons why this could never get off the ground. She had like 35 reasons why it absolutely could. <laughs> right. And so we have this three hour brunch. It's great. I'm like, she's really smart. I like her. This was way better than I expected. But I'm also going back to Canada because it's mm. Georgia and I know Georgia. Mm-hmm. I get on the plane a few days later. I get back home think nothing of it get back to life in in Canada and then in the summer I get a call from my friend and Stacy they call me on three-way and <laughs> they say I know very high school they are ganging school. up on you they're like right very this. high school and they're like um <laughs> it's time it's time. Uh, it's time it's time to come home mm. um it's mm. time to come home and, you know, then the negotiation started. So she's mm. like, how much money do you make? I told him and she was like, well, we can't pay you that. Mm. <laughs> but, 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 but I think you can raise it. I think mm. that we can raise it collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's where, like, this is what we've raised so far. I packed up my truck and drove the 24 hours from Ottawa back to my childhood bedroom in Southwest Atlanta. And Mm. we started the new Georgia project the next day. Okay. So what made you pack your car to go uh, earn a living uh, and really go make a living? Cause you had to create the money for you to actually get the salary that you needed. Absolutely. What made you Um, do that? Is how or why? What? Like what oh. flip? Because you said 30 reasons. No, yeah, you yeah. said, I mean, I'll tell you now, if, if the money don't look right, I don't understand how we're going to keep talking. So like what, <laughs> what made you pack your car and drive for a day? 
You're right. That's a right. long time. Right, right. right. Have, you know why? what it was? Yeah. There was yeah. This country, mm. for all of its faults, mm-hmm. has given me and my family so much, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, the sort of white supremacist, racist underpinnings of America are very much still here. It is the stench mm-hmm. that we all live with. And a mouthy, single woman working in politics, uh, principled, 10 toes down, unmovable, unless by facts or a really good story, I'd be dead if I were in Nigeria. Mm. There's no doubt in my mind. Mm. As we prepare for my country, my home country's Mm. presidential elections, I'm Mm. watching it with a very close eye and I'm deeply concerned. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that if I had chosen this path, this career, and I being the woman that I am, Mm -hmm. I would not be here Mm. in my home country and in several other countries around the world. That's correct. That is correct. You know, it's such an interesting romanticism We started this conversation with the conundrum and the paradox of being a black woman in leadership, which was the same one that you were raised within. It's the same one I was raised within. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of us, not all of us, right? There's diversity (laughs) in black people and black women's lives. Mm Got to say that. And there's also this romanticism or this faith, perhaps. And perhaps it's just perhaps the idea that we're romantic about the possibility because you actually, you being America, said that you would none of the other places ever said really that they were going to have this thing called a democracy and really honor equity and uh justice and inclusion truly but she america this girl mm-hmm. she keeps saying it so she keeps saying now a few and years i want to hold her feet to the fire this is it and i feel like yeah. there's a romanticism to holding her feet to the fire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and i hear that a lot from from many folks and you saying this now too it's a lot there that sort of pushes us forth and to do things that we wouldn't normally do um or that seem out of step with the actual current reality but we still do it that's that's a romantic leap is all i'm saying no absolutely but also like the first lady of Nigeria mm-hmm. had a college student arrested and they assaulted him because on Twitter, he said there was a question about what is happening to Nigeria's oil wealth, what's happening mm-hmm. to our its money. Mm-hmm. And the first lady of Nigeria has picked up a couple of pounds since COVID. And he tweeted, Mm. Aisha Bahari ate it. Oh, no. <laughs> so you said the first lady of Nigeria ate Nigeria's money. No. She accompanied the federal police to his dormitory no. and they beat his ass. And she oh, watched. God. And it is believed that she attempted to join in and broke some bones and injured herself and had to be hospitalized. And so... We talk about free speech Mm. and because it's never actually been challenged, you Mm -hmm. don't know how much of a virtue it is, Uh, how important it is. That's oh, my gosh. That is horrid. Yes. And that is 
And that is life all across the globe. And many, we've seen a number of instances. You don't even have to say anything. You could just be wearing your hair. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, Iran or uh, take yeah. your hijab. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. Right. Or not even wearing it. You could just be showing a little piece by accident. It may not even be intentional. It may not even be a political act. And right. also to show just a little piece is a very, uh, very courageous, intentional political act, too. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, so I, I hear you. And so and, and honestly, what it came down to was okay. you mean okay. to tell me that there's a million black people that are not participating in our elections. Mm-hmm. Georgia could lead the way. It, it could be the tip is. of the spear for flipping this country. It, right? And it really is. Right. And right. it really is. And um, the math was mathing for me. <laughs> and I mean, and that that's you're going to get me. Every time with the X's and the O's, okay. the balls and the strikes every time. There so the math are. was mathing for uh-huh. me. I knew that at that time, you know, we had been what, 236 years of experimenting with American democracy. Mm-hmm. And there had never in the history of this country mm-hmm. been a black woman governor of Georgia or no, ever, of ever, of ever. I'm sorry. In any state, any uh. state. No, no state in the union in our 246 years has ever elected a black woman. And still, and still, still, that is still the case. Right. Mm. And so Mm. this felt like, you mean, we can actually contest for power Mm. and build the Georgia that we've been dreaming of Mm. in my lifetime. And I get to do it with a dope black woman who like I actually respect. Yes. Who had you at three hour brunch after your bad choices on a New Year's Eve. I just want to say all of that must have been compelling. All of that. And (laughs) And not only that, but listen, I love Canada for what it provided me. But it is I'm. I was born in Nigeria and raised in Southwest Atlanta. You're going to tell me it's too cold in Canada for you? And white. And white. Yeah, (laughs) that too. That too. I've I've never, I've never lived where I didn't have a black mayor. Mm, I've never Mm -hmm. had, I've never not had black political leadership. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've never not had black doctors. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a white physician did not touch my body mm. until I was 32 years old. That's a never a dentist. Never. Right. And so being African and mm-hmm. being raised in Atlanta, being raised mm-hmm. in the South, there was a there's a particular like lens that I have about yeah. black excellence. Yeah. About leadership. And, and oftentimes it's not even black excellence. It is my quotidian experience. It's my day to day experience. That's right. That's right. right. Because right. there's also a lot of not excellence. And that's fine, too, because there's a range of black realities right. that you can sort of sample from. Right. I kind of want to just, you know. The work that you all did and you talk about doing this uh, with another black woman who you deeply respected um, and allowed in, I'm assuming, into the new friends, no new friends, new friends space. I, again, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, have, I have a friend who we're close and literally I throw it in her face every time I say, because, you know, you have the Studio 54 friendship, apparently, and yet you can't stop calling me and texting me. So you do the math. You like me. <laughs> but seriously, that. You all have basically galvanized and organized your work around leveraging our most precious resource for our democracy. And that resource is ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, uh, what it feels like you all were really partnering in 
convincing people that we are our best resource. And I'm just really curious how you, how your identity as a Black woman informed and and working with other Black women too, informed your leadership practice in such a necessary and critical space for for all of us and for Black women in particular. Yeah, I think for me, it was having come up in campaigns, mm-hmm. in unions, in nonprofits, in corporations that not only did I need, it required me to be a subject, excuse me, a subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. It also required me to be like hyper aware and hyper vigilant of my identities mm-hmm. as an immigrant, as a black woman, as a poor person, right? Or who or with a person who grew up poor. Um, and it's exhausting. Mm. I rarely, I never was affirmed by my colleagues. Um, I mm. saw often the, again, ways in which my labor and other Black women's labor mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. necessary to the mission, was necessary to a successful execution of a prop. Pro- process um but it was never valued it mm. was they weren't compensated fairly um they weren't promoted etc that mm. their work and their leadership and their creativity and their genius was invisibilized um or ignored and this felt like an opportunity to show people how to run campaigns highly effective campaigns with black leaders mm-hmm. that didn't chew people up and spit them out Right. That this felt like I I never thought that I would be able to do this work in my home state because I know these jokers, the Republicans and the Democrats. (laughs) Right. I know. I I never thought. But you do know them because this was a part of even your early work as a young person getting out as a young person, as a young volunteer with the Georgia Democratic Party, with the Dixiecrats. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I never thought that this was possible. So the idea Mm -hmm. that I could come home and build an Built infrastructure mm. that allowed me to hire, train, and deploy mm. folks who come from our communities, mm. who share our values, and teach them how to run campaigns that mm. win. Yes. Right. The idea that we you couldn't run a black person. People told us that um, you know, the, the again, the height of cynicism. Stacy's primary opponent in 2018 was a white legislator named Stacey Evans. And okay. she was propped up by the Georgia Democratic Party and the Georgia Democratic infrastructure, largely because despite the fact that Stacey was the clear leader, had raised money to like make Democrats competitive as the minority leader, had gotten Georgia and the Democrats together. They didn't believe that folks would vote for a black woman, right? Mm. They didn't believe that people would vote for a single woman. Mm. They, the rumor mill and the whisper campaigns, um, all were like, well, just, it's not us. The state's not ready. The Mm. country's not ready, right? Fundraising is going to be a challenge, et cetera. And so the idea that we could come, I could come home, build a thing that allowed us to win and like real wins, not the like, moral victories will live to fight another day, but Mm -hmm. actual wins for black people, for working people, and then defend those wins beyond one election cycle, Mm -hmm. like permanently and continuously contesting for power Mm -hmm. in the South, in America, and be cool and fun and interesting. I mean, I'm talking about going from 
contributing to GoFundMes to mm-hmm. civil rights leaders because their families can't afford to bury them. Mm-hmm. To the idea that when I left, my 145 permanent employees all have 401ks mm. and we match 100 percent. Right. Mm. And that you can do civil rights work. You can do voting rights work. And you live. can do political work in your communities with our folks unapologetically black and brown and have a decent like salary and like have a career. Yes. Um, and yeah. that was delicious and enticing to me. And mm-hmm. I wanted it. I'm I'm realizing I can see why you would. And I also would see, I can see why people would love to work with you. Um, oh. Your energy is infectious. Like, I was like, oh my goodness. But we're also sitting in a weirdly strange day and time right now, right? It's after the midterms in 2022. We know that Stacey did not win, unfortunately. Yes. And um, and we also know that there's this runoff that's happening and, you know, not wanting to necessarily get you to talk about that, but just that this is a dream and a piece of work that Stacey Abrams has been in for a very long time and that you joined that fight um, and had been in it with her too. What's it like for you now, uh, given that the second run did not work out in the way that that I had hoped, I can tell you, I was in Japan visiting my brother and meeting my new nephew for the first time. I was watching Stacy too. Like I really was, you know, cause both things are important to me. Of course, of course, um, of course. Of course. Um, but seriously, what was that like for you? It was hard. Yeah. Um, I still, which is unlike me, um, mm. I still feel that my responses are more emotional than mm. strategic and tactical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, so the, that's what my answers are going to be the, the okay. betrayal yeah. right, of white women that we look across the country and see that the loss of Roe versus Wade inspired a particular type of um, political energy and turnout in states all across the country. And in Georgia, it did not translate into the feminist pro-healthcare, pro-bodily autonomy candidate winning, that the candidate who banned abortion at six weeks when nobody asked him to (laughs) was successful uh, at the time. And, you know, on the other hand, it's like, I don't know what it's like to share a bed or give birth to my oppressor, right? Mm. And... Wow. Are you going to pinch the bitch? Like, are we going to, you going to stand up and draw the line and hold the line for yourself and fight for the kind of life and fight for your dignity and humanity. And I think the betrayal comes from believing the rhetoric. Like we were, we were polling white girls, we were polling white women and, and it did not translate. Mm. Mm. So I'm going to sit with that for a while. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I feel I'm brokenhearted and I feel like, but your broken heart is so different than mine. Cause it's like broken heart, broken sweat, broken back, broken tears, you know, in terms of the ways that you uprooted your life, mm-hmm. moved on down. And also it's such a romantic notion 
it's such a heartfelt notion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a ride of a lifetime in many ways. And you said yes to it with a lot of courage and bravery. But there's a lot of disappointment that goes into um living so passionately. Mm-hmm. You know, something that people say often is that black women will save our democracy. That's yeah. the narrative. But you just told me that also, and, and I get that I get where that comes from in that sentiment. I wonder what you think about that, but I also wonder what you think white women's role is in our democracy. Because you just said to me that one of the reasons that we didn't see Stacey and we didn't see Hillary too, I know as well, is that we didn't see that performance by white women at the ballot. What is it saving? Is it just not sabotaging? Like what, what do we, what's going on and what do you see in that space? I think the role of white women is to defend themselves, Mm. is to Mm. like resolve the conflict that they have between sort of cozying up to the enemies of progress because their addiction, like their role, like they're being complicit in the ways in which white supremacy help attack the democratic experiment Mm -hmm. is not okay. (laughs) It is deeply frustrating and they have work to do. Yeah. I think that Black women are not going to save democracy. Um, one, it's not our job. Right, that part. Um, that part. Um, but also, too, mm-hmm. there's just, I'm, again, back to the math, math thing. There's not enough of us. Mm-hmm. There's not enough of us. So when we talk about the future that we want to live in in the future of America, it is, in fact, a multiracial democracy. It's mm-hmm. a multiracial democracy that black people can hold a mirror up to America to try to get America to do what it's supposed to do to try to help resolve the hypocrisy and all of those things. And it's still 13 percent. Mm. You can't undo, you can't make 1326. It is 13%. Yeah, yeah. You cannot. Yeah, yeah. And so it is unfair and it is unrealistic Mm, to think that this would be our job. So what's going to happen is that white men are going to have to stop taking a sledgehammer to our infrastructure, Mm -hmm. that they're going to have to stop taking a sledgehammer to our institutions Mm -hmm. in service of holding on to power. Like what's going to have to happen is there's a recognition that fewer, fewer people are buying into the BS that they're selling. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that the only thing that they can do at this point to hold on to power is to Mm -hmm. cheat and to lie and to gaslight us. Mm -hmm. And that collectively we have to divest from like that whole like framework approach to life, approach to governance. But Mm -hmm. the, it's, and I, and I know that we're powerful and I know that we've done things and I know that black girl magic is a real thing. And the truth of the matter is 13% is 13%. It's 13%. Well, I, what I think is interesting is that that narrative and the superheroism that's attached to it mm-hmm. uh, is about the mammification of our efforts and energy once again to try to do impossible things with nothing or with very little. And so it's about breaking from away from that narrative. What you've just described is actually holding uh, white people accountable. 
right. uh, in that democratic process if and to see themselves um, as a part of that multiraciality. One hundred percent that it's not just talking about multicultural. That language often is excluding whiteness. It's multicultural and then whiteness. But you're saying, no, actually, this multicultural coalition includes you, too. Absolutely. And me, too. And them and and us and all of us. And that that's a different group of people than a group that is holding on to power and breaking down and tearing apart those and to exclude them absolves them from their responsibility exactly. and makes them unaccountable for their the actions and the and the harm that they're causing and the harm that the choices are causing. You mean to tell me we're all coming to the potluck and you ain't got to bring a dish? Mm-hmm. That's what's interesting. And so we have to divest from this magical thinking thing. You know, Absolutely. I'm a psychologist. I think I told you we talk about all the time. A uh, strong black woman is a myth. It actually makes you depressed, unhealthy and early death. Well. <laughs> Come on. The black rail magic thing is actually about like being so magical and strong in a way that you can't be hurt or touched by the things that actually hurt and touch real people. And yep. so if we can be concrete and 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 material and at the same time have a, a futurism that is expansive and can be inclusive of us, perhaps we can live in it, too. Yeah. I um, oh goodness. I gave a keynote a while ago mm-hmm. where. I riffed for a little bit and I feel like I'm going to go back and try to incorporate that formally, but mm-hmm. it's the idea that black girl magic is actually black girl labor, black girl insomnia, <laughs> absolutely. Black girl creativity, absolutely. discipline. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, well, listen, I want to be mindful of our time. Um, and so I have two final questions that we ask everyone who comes on Sheep and Ready the Podcast. Again, I'm so grateful that you spent some time with me today. It's such Thank a gift. Um, so one is that we think about, and I'm always thinking about those who are coming behind, those who are looking to you. You have a platform and a, a face and a voice that's been seen and heard. Um, and so when you think about uh, your younger self or imagining those mentees or young folks or early whoever's looking to you, what words, advice of wisdom would you impart to them around just their leadership about being ready, about believing in themselves, wherever you land with that? What what do you think they need to know and hear from you? Um, that a couple of things. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> I love like it. If yeah. your mind can conceive of it mm. and it feels like a good idea it sounds like a good idea Mm. do it that that new ideas don't Mm. create new actions like new actions create new actions Mm. right new actions create new things Mm -hmm. and so learn from your lessons like learn from the failures but do it like um I, i think that that is i i I, I don't know if you can tell, but I have a very rich interior life. <laughs> There's a lot tell. going on in here. I can tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there are times where I could live in here. Yes. My ideas, I, you know, I yes. will run a new idea through the ringer. I will shark tank myself <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> neg myself and have to pull back. Well, what will my opponent say? What will the haters say? Why are all the reasons why this is not a good idea? So all of that is already happening in here. Mm-hmm. And the times where I've been most disappointed in myself mm-hmm. is where it never exited my head. 
Okay. okay. That I talked myself out of experimenting mm-hmm. and innovating or trying something. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just, I let it live in my head. So do it. Just do, do it. it. Do it. Do it. And the final question, you know, you just transitioned out of a, a big role, a, a big spotlight. Um, you may not even know the answer to this question, but I want to know what's up with you and what's next. Um, what are you thinking of? What are you manifesting? How might we follow and continue to learn more about how you're actualizing some of that magic that's happening in your head into the world? <laughs> I, I think so. I, the, the, the full and true answer is that I have no idea. And that's a beautiful place to be able to be, <laughs> right. by the way. Yeah. But there are some things that I want to do and want to manifest. For example, Mm -hmm. I would like to write the book that tells the story about how the peach state turned purple. Right. Ooh, I, like I mean, that's the, not the title, but that's but like I love the it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that, you know, in the book that Stacey wrote, she's the superhero in her mm-hmm. narrative. And I don't begrudge her. Like she has some important stories to tell. Mm-hmm. The same thing with Raphael and the same thing with Senator Warnock. Right. There's so many ordinary Georgians that mm-hmm. are contributing to this moment that we're mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. rise to the polls, you know, making food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I talk a lot about how we hired adult dancers, mm-hmm. uh, strippers. I mean, nightlife is a part of Atlanta's culture. It really is. 100%. I went to grad and, school there and I, you know, it wasn't like that's where I was studying, but it, it even found its way into our halls of academia. Absolutely. And so <laughs> when I went to go look for social media influencers who can like inspire black men to vote, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to strippers who have 2 million followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And these women are entrepreneurs and get it. And they're also voters. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I say all that to say that there are a lot of stories that I want to tell. There are a lot of stories. And so mm-hmm. the book feels the book feels like it should be one of the priorities mm-hmm. while I figure out what's next. I would love to read that book. I love the visual of the peach to the purple. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm yeah. excited about it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm excited about it. I want to tell the story. I also feel like, um, remember Pigpen from, from the mm-hmm. Peanuts, mm-hmm. like with the dirt cloud following? That's like, I feel like my book idea <laughs> is the thing that is literally just following me all oh, over the place. I'm and sure I it is. I won't rest until it gets done. Well, listen, I think that folks have a lot of curiosity. I do. I'm actually seeing like how you can get a purple hue on top of a peach. So it looks like it's encroaching upon. I mean, but you don't took me there. I can tell you have an active life because you got me thinking um, actor, active in a life. I think that there's a lot there in terms of 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 what we want to know, but also for you to process. This is a huge thing that you all did. It was a big move. Um your story sits so squarely alongside this transitional moment for our nation, for that state, what that state meant for our nation, but also what your transitions and the sort of human transformational story and how it sort of fits into all that as well. Thank Gosh. You. Well, and say, so, listen, you don't know this, but I'm quietly processing and 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 crafting a move back to Georgia because I I feel like that's where I know. And so talking to you, I'm like, oh, she just makes me so excited about Georgia. It's about a Atlanta. lovely place. It really is. It place. really is. I, I, you know, and so not without its challenges, but oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. But it is. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful space, and the change and the. Uh, 
the change that, that, that y'all have been inspiring, that a whole community of people who are not the superstars of the story have been inspiring because it's the people mm-hmm. who make that possible. Absolutely. And that's what I love about what you just said. Um, you know, it just, it makes me miss it so much. I'd like, I told you, I went to graduate school down there. So it's just yeah. like such a special place in my heart. Thank you so come much. Come on back. <laughs> and that's what everybody says. Well, come on. I'm like, well, give me a minute. Thank you so much for your time today. I know we went a little over, but this was just so special. And I just oh, appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. <laughs>